Imagine the world's greatest COVID songs, sung by Neil Young, with classics like the Vax Damage Done.
What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. We are live, Twitter only. We finally got this place silent, looking sexy as hell, and uh, YouTube banned me. I don't think they banned me. I just got another strike, some two strikes, but I'm leaving. I'm not. I'm not going to wait for a third strike. You don't fire me. I fucking quit. You don't want my content on your platform? I'll go to other places for people not to watch my shit. I don't give a. Well, I got to figure it out. I am going to figure it out. But you know, instead of just complaining, and firstly, thank you to the loyal support of both Yo Kratom and Sheath. You know, they're not they're they're still getting behind us, even if there's gonna be less impressions and no one's gonna be seeing those signs that I bought. They don't care, I hope. Anyways, moving on. Welcome to everybody out there. If you're out there hanging out on uh on uh uh Twitter, sadly, I can't get your comments, but we're not gonna spend the whole episode in, in complaining about the fact that I've been banned by YouTube. We're not gonna do that. You know why? Because I'm here to make a difference in the world. Starting with this, I've complained that sometimes you get wily coyote highway signs. You're traveling on the highway. You really got to, you're about to shit yourself. You got to take a leak. You're running low on gas. You're just trying to find a spot for an easy on off, easy on off. And you get fooled by these gas station signs because they frequently, they put up a sign and they tell you, Hey, there's gas at the next exit. And then you get on and the next thing you know, you're going on to another highway and then you freak out and you try and get off that highway. And then you decide to put in gas or backtracking 25 miles to the next village. And it's a nightmare. So here's what we're going to start doing. I'm going to start making a difference because for all the technological improvements that you thought would have happened, like you would think that by now we'd be at flying cars. We're not at flying cars, but you know what has happened is that sometimes you show up to a gas station and you walk into that gas station and it turns out it is a portal to another dimension. And now you're in like the nicest food court that's ever been in a mall. By the way, I don't go to mall food courts. I don't do that. I don't like malls. I'm anti-malls. Malls are not my scene. But if I go into a gas station and I was just looking to take a shit and grab some cookies and then it turns out that they got gourmet coffee and then next to that they got like a like good Subway sandwiches and then they got an entire bakery. Here's I'm going to tell you guys, because the first time I experienced this was coming back from New Hampshire. I could not believe when I walked into this gas station what was in front of me. I ended up just sticking around. I spent the whole day drinking coffee, eating pastries, making diarrhea in that bathroom. I was like, you know what? Someday I'm going to have a girlfriend. I'll tell her about this place in New Hampshire that you could just go spend the whole day at the gas station. She'll be like, that sounds ridiculous. But here's what I'm trying to say. Gas stations are stepping up their game. It was like a gas station war. First, he had like a uh, uh, Circle K stepped into the game. 7-Eleven stepped up their game. Then you had Wawa. They came in and they were like one-upping everyone with sandwiches. And then your retail local gas stations were like, listen, we're not going to be outdone by these motherfuckers over at the Wawas and the 7-Elevens. And so then they stepped into the game. And now all of a sudden you got these really fancy gas stations. So here's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to become the Michelin stars. Is that what it's called? Is that what that ranking system is of gas station sandwich shops where I will be your one source. If you're hitting the road, cause here I am every once in a while, I'm doing comedy gigs. I do a lot of traveling. I travel here and there. And so I'm going to start making a collection of the world's greatest road sandwiches. And so the first one I'm going to highlight for you guys is when I was coming back from Buffalo out in Hancock, New York. And you already know it's good. You already know it's good if it's from Hancock, New York, right? Right off the bat, there's this place called the Bat Factory. Now, what was great about the Bat Factory? Simple on off. You pull off the highway, you can see this thing. It looks like a church. It's like a church of sandwiches. The place is ready to go. Also, had fantastic pastries. I think I ate like... You know, you would never eat it, but they make like those prepared cherry pies from like Hostess. They had that, but it was like from a bakery. It was really good. And then here, I even took a picture of the sandwich. Look at that thing. I mean, I, I this is off angle. I get that it's off angle. Now, here's what made this sandwich so good. Firstly, that bread was excellent. And you might be looking and go, hey, that's a sloppy eat right there. 
So here's what you do. You start off with your fork and knife. That's like two meals in one. You fork and knife the top of it as if it was a salad. And then once you eat it down to where it's sandwich level, then you start eating that thing as a sandwich. And that was in a fucking gas station. So here, this is going to be the new thing. And since my content's no longer available on YouTube, the only way you're going to get the Robbie the Fire signature list of top tier roadside gas station sandwiches. I don't even have this up yet. And maybe this will just be another thing I say I'm going to do that I never do. Except this is silent right now. This thing is silent. If you knew how many people I raped in here over the weekend, the neighbors had no idea. No more rape jokes. I'm standing by that one. We're not making those jokes anymore. It's disgusting. How dare people make jokes like that? There's no making light of this. This isn't an HBO production, which did you guys watch The Last Duel? I will I will save you the hassle because, I mean, the douchebaggery of that movie up until the last scene. The last scene, you could just skip the whole thing, watch the battle. That last battle's fun. I guess maybe if you watch or fast forward through three hours of movie to get to that last battle so that you're slightly more invested in it, you might have higher stakes. But it was like they did... Um, it's like they did uh, Goodwill Hunting without the Boston accents, but they also like like uh, Ben Affleck didn't even do like the fucking Shakespearean accent. I don't know. It was a weird, shitty movie, except for the last fight scene, which was uh, kind of fun. And it looks like I totally just froze. If everyone was vaccinated across the USA, they'd all still be getting COVID. Because the virus mutates You could have worn a mask You'd still be getting sick Stayed indoors and boosted You're getting COVID USA Because Fauci lied We're all gonna get it No reason to hide But here's the good news Probably won't die. Everyone's getting COVID. COVID USA. All right, and we're back. I hope. I don't know what's going on here. Good thing, uh, producer man. Don't you know how to figure these things out? I told the sponsors I hired a producer, and that that's where the budget was going to. And now you're just sitting there pushing buttons, and we're not even broadcasting. I'm gonna have to fire this guy. You, 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 yo, Kratom, yo, Delta, and Sheath, you, your sponsor, he's sitting right there, and the guy's fucking up. I'm sorry. It's not me. It's this fucking college kid. All right, we're, we're going to have to make an improvement on that. Here's another thing I want to take issue with. So, and here, I got to share the screen. That is a good point. Oh, no, no, it's already shared. You guys can see it right there. All right, so some gas stations, they've stepped up their games in terms of food. Sometimes they're not very honest. You can get lost by these signs, but I'm going to help you guys out. I'm going to create the signature list. Pretty soon it's going to be available for subscribers and stuff. Why did they get rid of the little handle within the gas pump? The handle was great. I mean, you would think that they, the technology and the inventions that they could have had in terms of pumping your car but there was a simple contraption. It's existed my entire life where you put it down and then you can go into the store. You can buy everything you need and your car could fill up. Other people could even just fill up their car on your dollar. Like it just, it just went automatically. What went wrong? Were cars exploding? That thing existed. Did government step in and make a compliance issue out of something that was not a compliance issue? My entire life, you could go to a gas station and it was like you you were automatically filling up your car or if it was cold outside, you can at least I wasn't. And it seems to me like the colder you go, like the colder the area is, the less likely they are to have that thing. I was in Buffalo. My fucking knuckle 
Look at that shit. It's disgusting. Got got cut open because of the cold. Because who packs gloves? Right? Like, you're, you're not going to pack gloves just because you're going up to Buffalo for two days. That's crazy. And then because you're going to give, like, who wants to reach into their pockets, find their gloves just to fill up their gas? In your areas, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. We're going to take a poll. Are they taking away that little piece of metal? That's Because you would think technology would get better and they would have made improvements to that thing so that it never went wrong. That like it had an auto clock or something, some fucking, I don't know, chips and widgets and, and smart tech. And you get a call from inside while you were inside buying stuff, letting you know, hey, you forgot, but your car is actually already full. But instead of making improvements to a perfectly good working piece of technology, they're just taking it to, from us for no reason. All right, let's get into uh, some news topics here, because that's why everyone's here. You know, how much do people need to hear me yell about sandwiches and changes to technology? Uh, let's plug a couple gigs. Gene's living room. I'm throwing a house wrecking party. Gene's got a nice pad. This is uh, this is going to be the holy grail of summer porch tour. Uh, and for, for the people like me, the 15% that still got that good semen that haven't gone out there, haven't gone in the vaccination cards, aren't going to, aren't going to pretend like they've been vaccinated when they haven't been vaccinated. We're throwing a party in Gene's apartment. Come mingle, come meet the other holdouts. Um, you know, they got a debate going on. It's something to do with social media with that, uh, uh, prettier looking Robbie fellow who works, uh, I think at reason or the Hill. And then you got that author. I read one of his books at one point and, uh, He's a pretty guy from NYU, but then he's become kind of boring. But forget all about that. The party's going to be in the living room, and we're going to steal stuff from Gene. We're going to trash the place. We're going to jump on his couches. We're going to eat all the cookies. No, we're going to be respectful, but I'm throwing a party in Gene's living room. I'm opening up the live debate. Well, they're going to be streaming the debate live, but I'm going to be there telling some jokes. That is coming up on February 17th. And then uh, I got censored from YouTube, as I mentioned, because I put out a parody of a couple Neil Young songs. You can now find that on my Instagram. It's also on my Twitter. Uh, pretty soon it will be up on my website, uh, RobbieTheFire.com, which will be housing all of my content. Uh, so look out for that. And then hopefully some more gigs coming soon because I need to get out of this apartment. All right. Big news. Next story. We're going to pull it up right here. But uh, Biden, you know, he's got to seat a new person into the Supreme Court. And he said that he will put a black woman on the Supreme Court. Here's who he might pick to replace uh, Brer. And basically, he said that no matter what, it is going to be a black lady. That is the only person that he will hire for the job is a black lady. Uh, and I'd like to know, why is Biden discriminating against trans men? Or why is this man discriminating against the gays, the lesbians? Are Mexicans not qualified enough to be on the Supreme Court? Does uh, does Biden have something against black men that he will only hire a black lady? I mean, what is Biden saying about the qualifications of other minorities? Um, and then isn't this also kind of mean to whatever lady then gets the job? Like, why wouldn't you just promote her and make it not about like now you've said that the only reason she's really getting the job is because she's a black lady. Like, that's not helpful to her. Like if she if that person was actually qualified and work their ass off for their entire life so that they could get into this position. It's kind of shitty for you to go, hey, you only got the job because of your color. And then I think the idea here, like you should hire people because they're qualified. And then I also understand the idea of diversity that you go, all right, well, we don't have enough of, uh, well, even that doesn't make sense. It's like, it's the Supreme Court. You shouldn't really need diversity of opinions per se. Uh, or you shouldn't be like, it would be racist to say, Hey, a black or a white person could bring a different perspective to the court. They should just be interpreting the law and they should be objective. 
right? So if you're saying that people are not objective and that even members of the Supreme Court are influenced by more than just, I, I guess, an interpretation of the law, uh, wouldn't that view either be racist or undermine the uh, the exact existence of the court? Or wouldn't that mean that you would need to do an entire restructuring to ensure that every group of people were actually well represented because they can't be well represented by uh, people from other other nationalities? I don't know. It starts getting confusing. Uh, but here's something that I'd like to point out. Uh, so if we're not going to hire people because of their qualifications, but instead we're going to take this approach that we want to make sure that certain groups of people feel represented, that the only way that certain groups of people can feel good about their life is that they know that they have representation. That was the idea with Hillary Clinton. Hey, if I get to be the president of the United States of America, other women that are sociopaths could also do it. And then they could feel, hey, look at what I can accomplish in my life. So if the idea is that not the qualifications. It's not about your qualifications. It's about putting people into jobs that other people can be feel represented. Why don't we have more retard in government? What about all these Down syndrome kids who are working in the grocery store and they're there back and grand? They don't they don't feel like they can make it to the top. But if we put like a Downsy kid in charge of like, you know, national defense, then then that community can feel represented. So if the idea is just represented then I feel like we're not we're not actually going diverse enough. We're, we're making this a little bit unfair and that we're only taking certain groups of people to say, hey, we want you guys to feel represented. Uh, so I'm just a little bit confused. You know, I'm trying to get myself back on YouTube. Like, I'm not going to go back to college. Maybe YouTube could open up a YouTube school where they give you uh, they give you some guidance on what's allowed and what's not allowed. I'd love to go to that school and then I'd love to broadcast that. And then have that not be allowed on YouTube because obviously you're not even allowed to ask questions. I don't even know what I was banned for. I put up a one minute parody song about Neil Young where I'm singing like Neil Young. And then they said that I couldn't do that. All right, let's move on to our next topic, uh, which is uh, Ukraine. So here, I'll actually I'll pull up the article. Um, and sadly, we're not on YouTube, so I have no idea if this is going smoothly. I have no idea if any of you guys can hear me. Hopefully you can. Maybe you can't. Who knows? Let's see. Do I even have this article here? I do not. All right. No reason to pull it up anyways. Uh, we're going to watch this next. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. All right. So the Ukraine, uh, you know, they asked Biden if he would stop shouting so much. I think more accurately, they should be asking him to, you know, quit whispering. Uh, but Ukraine, I was joking. If you guys follow me on Twitter, Robbie the Fire. Well, actually, I mean, you must because you'd be watching it there right now. But, you know, we haven't really asked Ukraine how they feel about this whole war with Russia. Maybe they're into it. Maybe they prefer Russia to us. Maybe they maybe they're like, fuck you, NATO. I want to go live with Russia. They would like nothing more for them Putin to come in. But we've just been talking for them. We've been like, hey, listen, they love having NATO over here and they don't want Russia coming in. And so the head of Ukraine is like, can you guys quit talking about us going to war? You know, I got people that live in my country. And I'm like, I'm just like you. I got to pretend like everything's fine. You know, you're in America. You're pretending like you got a virus under control, but people still need to panic. You, you, you both have it under control because we got the best medical science working on it. But it, you can just have mild cases. But when we say mild, it's not mild in the way that you would understand it. But don't get mad at us for not communicating effectively, because even though we're saying words and then creating new definitions for them, we're putting out a clear message. That was from the CDC in, in mild. So he, you know, the head of Ukraine is like, listen, you guys are doing everything that you can to pretend like there is inflation. You got your shit together. You understand running a country. How am I supposed to run my country when you're telling all my people, hey, we're about to go to war. And so, you know, you better go outside and 
fornicate and blast your last nuts off in some ladies because this country is about to be over because Russia is about to come. Like, is it bad? Are we about to be the end of our country or not? It's not very helpful when the USA is saying, so here's what he did. He's basically like, listen, can you guys quit saying we're going to war? We talked to Russia. We're not going to war. And if you want to prevent war, why don't you just send us some free shit? Send us like, instead of sending us one plane every other week, just send us a whole bunch of planes. Here's what I think is really going on. Because for a second, I was like, I think Biden actually pulled a fucking baller move here. Biden basically said, listen, go invade Ukraine. Just go, you know, he said it I, on, on fucking national TV. He said, you can, you can have a little bit of a minor incursion. He's like, I don't give a shit about Ukraine. Fuck that country. They can go fuck themselves. I don't care about them. I don't care if there's a border there. Like, put it this way. I'm Biden. I don't respect borders. You see how many Mexicans I'm letting in the country? I'm letting them all come in. I'm putting them on planes. I'm secretly shipping them into Westchester. Two in the morning. I've got contractors running these immigrants all over the country. I don't give a shit about borders. So fuck you. You think I care about the Ukrainian border? If uh, if Putin wants to go in there and take the Ukraines, he can have the Ukraines. He can he can enjoy the whole cranes. I don't give a shit, right? Um, and so the head of Ukraine is like, listen, we just need more military gear. You give us enough military gear. This Putin guy, he's not going to want to come in here. I think what he's doing, he just wants all the military gear because he's probably already worked out a deal with Putin where he's like, I'm going to get them to send all their fucking gear and then we'll we'll pull an Afghanistan move where we just give it over to you guys. Like same idea. You know, they'll train us. They'll train us on how to use it. You guys will march in our army. We'll just put the shit down. We'll be like, yeah, we like Russia anyways. I'll go move to another country. And then uh, you can cut me a check for all the military gear that you sent over here. All right, moving on. So that's your update on Ukraine. I don't know where else you get your news from. They're probably not telling you what's really going on in Ukraine. I gave in simple terms. Either uh, Biden, he was like, I don't, I'm an old guy. I don't give a shit about borders. You can go take it. And then Putin's like, fuck, that didn't work out real good because uh, I don't actually want to go to war with them. Or he's he's going to go to war, but he's trying to get us to send more shit over there so that he can have more of our shit. All right. So we talked about this on uh, part of the problem. You can uh, you can go check that out. We did a whole episode on Bill Maher and that other uh, Jew lady realizing that they stayed in their homes for two years for no reason, that there wasn't a good plan here. And then, of course, anytime somebody says, hey, are we making a calculated decision here? in closing the country and not letting people work their jobs and not living our lives. Is this intelligent? Is there actually a strategy here? Everyone goes, well, you're going to die. You're not just going to die. You're going to kill other people. Everyone's got to stay indoors all the time. Even though I'm here at my job and things are going well for me, you, you, the rest of you guys, you better stay home or, or people are going to die and you, you must be pro death. That's the only reason why you would tell people that they don't need to be concerned with coronavirus anymore is because you are pro death. And so obviously the second somebody gets up and they make a statement going, Hey, or, or maybe we should look at some numbers here. Maybe is this really something we should be this panicked about? Someone's going to react. Somebody always takes the bait, the, the bait to go, how dare you be pro death. And so here we are, Whoopi Goldberg took the bait. Let's watch the video. Nobody on the planet really wants to go. 
It's also not funny to, uh, you know, people that quarantined, obeyed all the rules and then uh, died anyways, and they didn't get to experience any life or see their family. How many old people fall into that category? And uh, I'm pretty sure Bill Maher wasn't saying, hey, let's uh, let's make a joke out of people that have lost loved ones or let's say that this thing wasn't serious. I think he's saying, hey, I don't think we've got a winning strategy here. But, you know, it's always a race for who can be the most dramatic and who can scream about death. Let's watch some more. All right. So how about here's a different perspective. Firstly, it's nice of you to be able to say that while you get to work your job and you're wealthy. So why do you get to make decisions for blue collar people who just want to go be able to live their job? And why can't people make a decision that they'd like to just go to places like restaurants and they can make their own decisions like the people that uh, shit, I can't play any more of that because it already moved on. Stupid Fox player. But why why shouldn't anyone be able to make their own choices? You don't you find this thing risky. You can stay home. And then and then she goes into, well, what about the four year olds who can't get vaccines? Good. So, I mean, that's your perspective that uh, the tragedy that four year olds haven't been approved for vaccines yet or the other people that are at risk. Well, the other people that are at risk can stay home. Why do we have to sacrifice the lives of 24 year olds? And by lives, I mean, being able to live a life, go out, have fun have experiences, go to college. Like what is that 65 year old going to sacrifice in return for the 24 year old? Like, why is the sacrifice only going one way? If I get to, if I have to sacrifice having a college experience, learning, taking advantage of my youth, uh, to stay inside so that some other old person can also stay inside. Is he going to make some sort of a contribution towards my future? So I don't know, big old boo for Whippy Goldberg. Uh, and now let's get into one last topic here, which, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, but Dr. Phil, uh, he did a big segment about um, uh, trans uh, transgender folks, um, and uh, we're we're gonna dig into some into into some territory here. And before I do, luckily I'm not on uh, YouTube, so I can say whatever the fuck I want. I've already been censored. I'm already too spicy, you know. So this is the freedom that comes on the other end of that that you can soundproof your apartment and uh, yell a bunch of random stuff. Um, and to start, you know, if you're confused about transgender people, is that even the term you're supposed to use? You're not sure if you find them attractive, not attractive. What you should do is take all the O-Kratoms and all the O-Delta in a responsible way over the age of 21. You just, you get yourself a good high, you eat some edibles, and then you, you take some of those O-Kratoms to relax yourself. And then you just go find one of these people of mixed identities and you sleep with them. And then you get the wisdom of having been inside of one of them that you can have a better understand. It's like Highlander when you cut off someone's head and then you get their powers. If you come in someone's ass, so you get a better understanding of their of their essence. And so that's why your Kratom is sponsoring us. It's the home of the $60 kilo uh, is so that I can share the message with you is that if you're confused about the whole transgender thing or even your own body or your sexuality, what you do is you take a bunch of your Kratoms, a bunch of your Deltas, you get yourself into that good groove, that good drug groove where everything seems like a good idea. You, you blast the load in a he, them, them, he, she, whatever. And then you'll, you'll come out with an understanding. And I'm personally not going to do that, but you should do that. And then you email me at robsnewsroom at gmail.com. And we can do a segment about uh, what you learned. And, you know, be responsible. If you're going to be doing your Kratoms and your Deltas, like, do it responsibly. All right, let's watch a little bit of this video. Didn't even realize that Dr. Phil still had a show. Um, but, yeah, let's watch a little bit. <laughs>
By the way, Dr. Phil's got a great gimmick because he just he just pretends like he doesn't have any opinions. He just gets to play. So why is it that when you were doing that, that you did a thing? So what was your opinion on that thing? Like he doesn't he doesn't have to have any opinions or point of view. He just gets to ask the questions. And then I was always more of a Jerry Springer guy because this thing got pretty heated. And I was just hoping that the bearded man would end up fucking the bearded lady. Like I was hoping where that was going and then it would find out that they actually had a child together. But here, let's watch a little bit and then we'll continue our breakdown. So firstly, we've got this, uh, um, I, I think lady, it's basically Mac. It's Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, this is the story arc. I'm not sure. They almost got it like, I, at first I thought like the he, him, they, she, whatever titles like were, were silly. Now I almost feel like it needs to be more specific because I don't know. I actually don't know what, is this a dude now identifying as a bearded female, like going full circus? Is this a lady? Like, I actually don't know. You almost need like, you know, like uh, what they used to do when they would announce you like, doo, 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 and now presenting a guy that was once a lady. Like I, you can identify however you want. I'm, I'm pro freedom, whatever you want to do. We're, I'm, I'm, I'm actually good. You guys are going to be surprised by the ending of the point of view that I'm going to take on this one. Uh, but I'm saying that the, the titles are actually probably a good thing because then it gives you the context. Okay, that's what you were like. You almost need a full like a Carfax, like a full report. I was this identify as this. I look like that, but I just want you to see me as this. And you're like, okay, now I'm up to speed. I know what's going on here. Let's watch a little bit more. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. All right, so it starts to get a little bit confusing. Uh, I'm going to pull this down, and uh, we're going to dig in a little bit. You guys can email me, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. You can tell me how wrong I'm getting this topic, but I got a different perspective than what you guys were thinking. Um, So I think, like, firstly, with the transitioning, I'm all for freedom. I'm for whatever the fuck you want to do, and I also think everyone should be polite and respectful. So if you want to be addressed however you want to be addressed, there's no reason for people to be mean or bigoted towards you. Whatever the fuck you want to do. Live and let live. It probably makes more sense for you to go to live in areas where they accept it. But, like, just do whatever the fuck you want. I don't give a shit. Um, so I'm all for transitioning. I just almost wish, like, I almost think it's a, 
it's like a technology issue more than anything else. So I used to have this quote over my desk that I found very interesting. It was called, uh, the quote was, um, the quote was, uh, chaos is just the emergence of new patterns, not yet readily understood. And so I, th the idea of, I, I think transgender people, I don't even know if I have this right, is that you're born into a sex, but sex is not gender. And so you could actually have been born into the wrong body where you have the, you have a male brain inside of a female's body or a female brain inside of a male's body. I guess you also must end up with some sort of a question of consciousness. So is consciousness like a byproduct of, uh, of your brain? And so you've got a con like, why are you even identifying as a gender at that point? If you're already saying like, you've got a consciousness that's separate from your biology, just, you know, you, why don't you identify as being something beyond like your, like your, your, your soul is your soul masculine or feminine. Anyways, things get complicated. So I think if I have it right, they want to identify as a, because they're already separating sex and gender. Those are two different terms. So you're a gender that's different than your physical sex and that the construct of that we view things as male and female, it's, um, th that is a, that's a man-made construct. That's not actually like a law of science that like, if you're born a dude, that makes you a dude. Or if you're born a chick, you're born a chick. It's that we've constructed that we identify people born as men, as men, or women as women, or even that there are different genders, that there's male and female is a construct. And so here's where I say, maybe they're right. And it's a technology issue. Because imagine if there was a box and you could just walk into the box and you walked into the box, a lady, and then you could, I mean, a man, and then you could just walk out a, a lady, or you could walk in a lady and just walk out a dude. Imagine if that box existed and it wasn't permanent. You could just go spend an afternoon as a lady. You know, you could, you could be like, I've, I've had it as a dude. I'm not getting laid. I'm going to go be a lady. I'd like to spend the day upset. I want to feel the joys of shopping. I want people to buy me shit. I want to go to a bar, see what it's like if people just buy me things. I want to experience life as a lady. I'm not going to do any gay shit. I'm not going to take any dicks in me. But I am going to go out and I'm going to play uh, the, the the privileged lady card for an afternoon. Just experiment. Or if you're a lady and you just decide, hey, you know what? I'm spending all this time and I'm sweating these little things. I'd like to make rational decisions. Like imagine if Hillary Clinton became president. She's got to make big decisions so she can walk into the box and then come out a man and just make like normal decisions. Or like they always say that, you know, people, when, when they start getting their periods, they start making bad decisions. You could just like for that week, you could become a dude. Right. So if you're a man, you could experience emotions that you haven't experienced because you just walk in and like you're like, I'm going to be a lady for a week. Maybe this undermines their entire thing, because the point is you already have the mentality of the lady and it's not the physicality. So you're trying to get a physicality. But I would think in some ways, because they even say, like, if you smile, it affects your mood. So I would think that your physicality would somewhat uh, um, change, like because even that's why you're trying to change. Right. You're trying to change because you identify as a female and so you'd feel more comfortable in the female body. So it's a little bit of a circular loop that the female body also then gives you something that you feel like you can more easily identify it with. So going back to my box, if you went into your box as a dude, came out as a lady, then you could probably experience some of the uh, things of a lady. Because some of it's like even like if you start like, you know, ramping up on testosterone, you're going to start, I think, behaving a little bit more dude-like. Like maybe you're going to feel some aggressions or if you start going uh, the other way and you start hopping yourself up on on uh, on hormones. I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to talk about. I was just trying to make a dumb joke. And then and then I, I turned serious. I tried getting into all the, the, the practicalities of this. So we're just going to go back to my stupid joke, which is I think it's a technology issue. And I think that maybe 
maybe maybe they're right. Maybe it's a construct because we're still a little bit limited right now. It's not that easy to swap your genders, but imagine if we lived in a reality where you could very easily swap your genders, then maybe it is just a construct. You could spend days as a lady, days as a days as a dude. And like this guy, he wrote his book, and his book is about walrus boy. It's about this kid becoming a walrus. The problem about being walrus boy, once again, technology issue. If you can just unswitch from walrus boy, who gives a shit? I say, let's be fluid and just come in everything. Glory whole lifestyle. You can walk up to a friend, be like, dude, I just uh, jizzed in something that identifies as a plant. He'd be like, that's nothing. I just dropped a load in a car. And then that would be the thing. We'll all just be walking around. We'll be jizzing into like different holes because we're loose. We're like in this new environment. You're a guy, you're a girl, you're a car. It doesn't matter. It, it, you can identify as whatever the fuck you want. And, you know, I, I imagine that in this landscape, people are going to be a little bit promiscuous. I can't imagine that you're going to transition into a car and be like, listen, that that gas casket is only for people that I love. This might be the most ignorant rant I've ever done. Good thing the thing is soundproofed. And I don't know enough about this topic. I didn't go to a college in a time where they taught these kind of topics. But here's what I'm thinking. So we're all walking around. We're living our glory whole lifestyle. Men are transitioning to women. Women are transitioning to, 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 to whatever's. And we're, we're blasting loads and everything. And then kids start basically being created in labs. It's for people that can afford them. We do CRISPR babies where there's, there's no natural procreation. Then what's great about that is that every kid is a kid that somebody actually wanted. And so we don't have to socialize the cost of kids because I, I don't like it. I don't like that you have kids and then all of a sudden it's like we have to pay for like every single child. It's like you had the kid. You're going to benefit from having the kid. You're going to be old at some point and you're going to have procreated, which is something that I think if you never do, you'll probably be miserable. I'm probably not going to do it, but I'm just saying you're probably supposed to procreate and that's your fucking responsibility to pay for that kid's bills. And, and then it's always like every politician is like, well, it's a kid. Well, you had the kid. It's your kid. And like, does that kid get to be my kid in 40 years? If I'm paying for their education, do they get to come visit me? Uh, do I get first dibs on a kidney? How's that going to work? Like, why, why do we socialize the cost of kids but we don't socialize the, the cost of being an old, miserable fuck? Like, there should, there should be some tax credit where you can get whores or better, uh, better like, old age home credits because, you know, you didn't have kids and your kids can't take care of you. Why are we only socializing the cost of that? All right, so let's just recap. Because, you know, I really put my time into this. I really uh, I really wanted to think through this lady. I, I can forecast that the transgender issue is becoming increasingly more important to people. Uh, and so, one, I'm all about freedom. You, you want to swap a male a dick for a vagina, you do whatever the fuck you want. And then this other idea that it's just a construct, I'm okay with that. Chaos is just the emergence of new patterns not yet readily understood. Unless you got some Christian religious background where, uh, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't want you fucking with these things, which I'm not taking that perspective. So maybe it is a technology issue. If we got these magical boxes where you could just walk in one thing, come out another thing, we'd all realize, hey, it's just a construct. You wouldn't feel good. You wouldn't feel weird if you went out one day. It would be almost be like VR where some some dude makes an out like an avatar where he's some hot chick and then you bay and then you find out it's a, you were jerking off talking to some dude. I, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So you know what? If you're still confused about your gender, maybe if you're a dude, Maybe you just need sheath underwear. That That's what this was all coming down to. Maybe the reason why you're feeling like you need a transition is because you're not, your, your balls, they're flopping all over the place. I'm going to get in trouble with Robert on this one. Your balls, they're flopping all over the place and you're uncomfortable with your nuts and you're like, you know what? Maybe I should have always been a lady. I shouldn't even have these nuts. Uh, and so all you got to do is go to sheathunderwear.com. Use promo code RYM. You're going to get 20% off. And then uh, the beauty of that is your nuts are going to be tucked away they got they got their own little shelf. 
your, your, your dick's got its own little hole and then it all feels good. And then think about how much cheaper buying a pair of sheath underwear is that's 20% off, uh, then, you know, changing your entire gender to fit your identity. It might just work better. Maybe we go into kids and if they're thinking about these things, we just give them a pair of sheath and we go, do you feel better now? And then if they don't, you know, we, we could start having the conversation, but you might as well try this first because it supports my sponsors and it might solve the problem. Okay. Uh, listen, I fully admit to the fact that I'm ignorant on these issues and, uh, Rob's news at gmail.com. If you want to further and better explain this to me, I will, uh, I will gladly have you on the show. And I should have plugged this earlier because the second half of the show is actually a very informed, uh, hour on Bitcoin. I know some of you guys aren't sure what to do with it. We got Guy Swan on. I need to give myself some more walking room. I keep thinking I'm going to walk and then I realize I don't have enough room. All right. We're calling an episode. Thank you for hanging out with us. I think the room is actually fairly soundproof, which is exciting. We got our sponsor signs. We got more improvements coming soon. And, uh, I, it, in the near future, I will have a new spot where uh, we will be housing all of the video content and you will be able to sign up and get yourself your list of roadside sandwiches. And uh, that's it for today. Thanks, guys. What is up, people of Twitter? I am here with Guy Swan, the spokesman, the official spokesman for Bitcoin. It might be decentralized, but they've all come together and united. Guy Swan is the one person that doesn't matter if it's dipping, doesn't matter if it's crumbling. He's all in no matter what. He's uh, he's leveraged his trailer. He's put his entire life savings in. Doesn't matter sideways. People are shorting it. The entire market's pulling out. You're, you're Bitcoin till the end. Absolutely. 100%. It's the best description I have received uh, this year <laughs> in 2022. I've never even seen the movie, but there's that uh, that that chick movie where they're driving off the cliff. That's the ending. Oh, someone yeah. needs to do. Yeah. Someone needs to do a drawing of you and like a Bitcoin Filming vehicle <laughs> just going off the cliff, holding on to those coins, your wallet for dear life. It doesn't matter. <laughs> We're taking it to the end, baby. Uh, so, by the way, before uh, we're, we're Twitter only today, because uh, I put out, uh, it's unbelievable that the censorship that exists in the world. I spoofed Neil Young's songs. I took about four songs. I'm not even good enough to, like, do full audio spoofs. So I just kind of hit the choruses. I grouped them together as if I was selling the whole catalog. I can do a pretty decent Neil Young impression. I put up the the songs as on YouTube as Neil Young uh, COVID songs. It got taken down. Maybe by the time like I like by the time I refreshed the post, I already had an email from YouTube saying that there was a strike on my channel. <laughs> they were a, on uh, that dude. There's a there's a very angry censorship machine that just automatically if you if. Now, if you just post any of those names in it, it's just like, okay, we're just going to remove this for the sake of uh, making it simple. YouTube is just a totally COVID free environment. <laughs> they're, 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 they're masking all of their, all of their videos and they're making sure they vaccinate against any non-approved opinions automatically. And, uh, <laughs> without, you know what it is? I, I got away with the misinformation spectacular so I figured like, oh, maybe I'm Push good. Maybe they're yeah, not. Yeah. What was that? I said, maybe just see, you know, you just got to test the waters, you know, you just got to keep poking. I know. No, now I'm going the other way, which is like, I guess in part, the idea was that if you came to the YouTube page, you could go down a rabbit hole and all my content would be there. Now I'm understanding that I can't possibly put all my content there. So I don't really want to self-censor for their platform. Like we're, 
Like, I don't want to start hand selecting what I can put there and what I can't put there because then I, maybe this is really lame, but I feel like if you find that you're getting a very watered down, like then I'm playing their game. I'm self-censoring so that I can provide something to their platform. That's more of a safe. So I think I'm calling it a quits on YouTube and I'm going to figure out uh, a new home for everything I'm doing, which uh, might be NFTs. Maybe I'll get it up on my website and I'll get into this NFT game. Cause I know that's part of what you believe is the wave of the future. And, oh, no, uh, no, no, no. Hopefully, I, no, no, I know you've branched out. You're not just Bitcoin anymore. No, I, I heard it in no, private no, conversation no, I, that <laughs> shit coins and NFTs, that's where the money is. And uh, hopefully I can get some of that scam money because people are clearly washing their money in NFTs. And so if I can just get some shitty artwork up that people like the Saudis or whoever, the drug cartels just wash a little bit of their money and I can keep all my content off of YouTube and support it. And then no one even needs to like it, but I just get to feel good about me. That's what you need to do. That's what you, you really need to get into the just, you know, Saudi drug and oil money laundering and you're good to go. You're good to go. That's probably that's probably the space. And all you need to do is sell a URL to a gorilla JPEG and you would not believe the millions that you can move. It's what it's is, I don't epic. I don't even know what a gorilla JPEG is. Have you not seen the apes, the the Twitter, like the NFTs the that? Everybody like the profile pictures. Yeah, people spend paying like hundreds of dollars for a JPEG. Like this is essentially like almost the entirety of what uh, the NFT market is is a uh, a couple of website platforms that have JPEGs and they are selling on on the blockchain uh, a URL attached to a transaction that points to their servers and then their server feeds you a jpeg you might and as well pay for like oxygen dollars for this you, might as you well can pay go for over oxygen. to the website and right click yeah and i mean save. i'll sell people oxygen if they want oxygen come on over i'll sell you some i got fresh oxygen for you i got tap water that's even <laughs> that's that's a, that's a big deal man you know it's non-fungible tap water do you get good tap water by you mine comes out cloudy and i just pretend like it's good it's it's got that good flavor you know it's got that city that city taste that that really i nice keep drinking the floor i'd hoping it will turn me gay but it hasn't happened yet well keep trying keep trying. i'd like if to have some more options in the holes that i find uh you know in three glasses of water a day at least yeah that'd be great if they actually quantified all right so there's been a lot of crypto price action people are panicking which uh you know why would you panic this thing goes up and down it's volatile it's erratic um but I did want to have you on because there were a bunch of crypto stories that I found of interest. But let's start with the most recent dip. Uh, I would say we went back into, I'll call it buy territory when it goes down to that 35,000 range. All of a sudden starts looking good. I've seen a track up and down, bounce back from that more than once. Uh, but I did realize that in my crypto investing, uh, specifically in Bitcoin, you don't want to talk shit coins. I know. I, I don't want to get you all worked up here at the beginning of the show. I. Uh, I have zero understanding as to what is going on when Bitcoin is priced at 60,000 or when it's priced at 30,000. I don't know. I could not tell you why it's being valued at one and not the other. I can't tell you how many transactions are taking place, how many people are selling their crypto, why they're selling their crypto, who can step into the market and then buy that crypto for it to go back up. And I realized I'm a very uninformed 
crypto investor. I've just taken the guy swan. I don't even have that much of my net worth in it. I'm not like uh, you or a car. Um, I just have that initial 3,500 I put in when it was at five grand. That's the only good investment I've ever made. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then sometimes I look at what it's worth and I'm like, am I really just going to let this sit here? So I turn it back to you. Can you paint a little bit of a picture for us as to like what's happened that it's down and like what the bullish picture is, even just short term of who could be buying back in for it to go up. Like, I don't understand these price movements. Sure. Okay. So I think the major factor that's happening here is that there are a lot of uh, basically billionaire and institutional players uh, that have entered the market. It, the market has matured enough. Uh, really kind of in 2020, we, we started seeing the entrance of these massive institutional players start to actually put allocations and you know, billionaires like Stanley Druckenmiller and uh, Michael Saylor, like this whole kind of corner of that environment that started to treat this like a risk asset, where you know when the uh, the macro situation suddenly started to turn inflationary, oh, you know everybody used to buy gold. That used to be kind of like the big thing. That was a, a major risk asset. Property, major risk asset, and so the the equities as well. Um, so, you know, when all of this started to unfold and it was looking like the Fed was going to have endless, mo like easy monetary policy, just money printing, uh, issuing new debts, interest rates at zero percent. There's just going to be this flood of money. People started buying all of these assets that were going to hold value well against it because it was more scarce. Property is way more scarce than dollars. Um, equities, Bitcoin, gold, all of these things. Um, and Bitcoin, because it has matured enough, it is now entering kind of that phase of things. And I think that's really why last year we saw Bitcoin make a massive run up from, you know, three, four five thousand dollars where it hung out for half a year or a whole year, it seemed like. Um, and then just rocketed up to sixty seven thousand or whatever it was. Um, so it essentially 10x in a matter of like six months. Um, and. Uh, now we're kind of bouncing around. It's it's run out of steam, essentially, and having to correct, find balance itself out and find some sort of stable price for the the new uh, basically the new phase of liquidity that we're moving into. Um, but since what was it? September ish, I think it was um, when we double topped essentially back up to sixty nine thousand somewhere right around there um and it has fallen back down to in the mid 30s um the fed essentially announced that they're going to attempt to taper they're going to try to raise interest rates and what did we see as all of this started to unfold stock market crashes uh uh property um property is starting to uh, feel the pressures of it um i've been seeing housing prices like people who are thinking that they were in a seller's market suddenly having to undercut what they, their asking prices were. Um, and all risk assets are being sold off. Um, I think in a matter of just a handful of weeks um, with the Fed essentially looking to be, um, uh, what's the word, um, restrictive, conservative about their monetary policy. And this is just a hint. This is just a suggestion. And the NASDAQ dropped like 13% in like a couple of weeks. It is such an indication of how unbelievably fragile our financial system is that just a hint of the Federal Reserve moving from zero 
to 0.25%, just like bumping up like 15 basis points or something, had just sent the whole thing. It's like, okay, we're going to sell all our shit. All right. But I do have to ask because I, uh, yeah. and sometimes I understand like the general picture and the theory, the specifics, mm -hmm. like, the, like I can pick up on the themes, the specific of like how they're getting you from A to B. I don't quite understand. The theme to me since the last financial crisis is that the Fed has put a lot of money specifically into the stock market in a yep. way that the stock market has gone up. If you want to know some of the specifics, I mean, I can tell you they made a lot of capital available to companies to do stock buybacks. They did whatever happened with quantitative easing. Then they did whatever was going on with the repo markets to basically banks can be solvent or insolvent on any given day. If they've got too much money, they can hand it back to them, at least get a little bit of an interest rate. If they've got mm -hmm. no funds available, they can borrow. So banks, banks and the Fed are one and the same now. Like they just are like, there's no, there's no capital requirements at a bank and there's no need for them to figure out where to put money so that they can earn some interest rate. Like that, that that's gone. Um, yeah. other mechanisms is, uh, and this was something that, I um, uh, the guy from Mon Peter for monetary metals was explaining you got all these zombie corporations that only still exist because of basically low interest rates. So if you look at the overall picture, I understand why there would be panic in the stock market because it's not so much, hey, the, the Fed is just raising interest rates is, is the Fed going to actually not just prop up stocks? Is the Fed going to mm -hmm. create an environment where they're mm -hmm. not just going, hey, we're going to bail you all out and make sure that the stock market is artificially inflated? Because it's not just the interest rate. Like, sure. Simple finance, if the interest rate's higher, there's yield in bonds. I don't need to have the risk of being in the stock market. But that's like old school news. Like that's irrelevant compared to, hey, is the stock market is the stock market literally just going to get bailed out by the Fed where they're buying assets so that it's propped up like that? You know what I mean? Like we're in a different world. I wouldn't think that Bitcoin would be as affected by that because it, it, Bitcoin is there's no capital flowing from government into Bitcoin. Now, there might be the flight to safety of, oh, look, there's yield now and I want to be in bonds. But I would almost think that if people are getting more spooked by the stock market, they'd be pouring more money into the crypto and the gold of going, hey, the fucking stock market's a sham. I don't understand why it's been up. Like, especially, dude, you look at the fucking stock market chart since 2020. Like, do you think has the world <laughs> has the world grown economically in a way that we should be at double the evaluations before correct. Like, like, so we we've had a pandemic that came into existence and has shut down world economies. And yet the evaluation of every company is double or triple double. what it was yeah. like. So that doesn't make sense. I mean, it just doesn't fucking make sense. No, it's, right. It's idiotic. Yeah. But to me, that would almost be more of a case for, all right, I need to put my money somewhere. Uh, it's clear that we're dealing with an inflation issue. It's clear to me that the stock market makes no fucking sense. Uh, perhaps housing's a bubble because it's also got Fed money. So where's the one avenue that's not affected by Fed money? Oh, it's potentially crypto. But that's not the way crypto's acting. Crypto, like you well, said, I think, I think I think you're actually completely right. But it is the way Bitcoin is acting. So I think that's why at the in the middle of last year we we went on such a rally, such a strong rally, is because all of this new money was flooding into the system. And people were looking for exactly that place to put it. And so so essentially, they ended up putting a lot of it into Bitcoin. There's a lot more dollars chasing the exact same amount of Bitcoin as, as before. But is this mostly the institutional investors? Is that the is that who is like, if we're looking at the demand for Bitcoin over the last year, 
-hmm. like who started pouring in? Was it a lot of people that like all of a sudden they weren't shopping? They had more money. So like, fuck it, I'm buying Bitcoin. Is it that more 25 to 35 year olds just got excited by it? Or does the institutional money just dwarf what even retail people could consider purchasing? Like who, like who, in other words, like if we looked at demand for Bitcoin over the past year, like what percentage of that is institutional players? That's a good question. I don't have hard data on it, but I think the percentage of institutional players is higher than it was. I think it has increased. If you had to eyeball, is it, is it last... greater than 50%? I don't want to say one way or the other because I honestly don't know on straight volume. But we also have to remember that all of this happens at the edge. This is like all the froth in the market is not the foundational level of everybody who's buying regularly and just stacking as much as they can, whether they're like, a however, just, player just, just or a to count, person. Yeah. But to counter that, let's just say that you and I like the idea of uh, maybe me more con uh, in a more conservative way going, Hey, I know that my, ca my cash is not safe because they're inflating against it. I don't like the stock market. I'd like to put a percentage in Bitcoin so that at least I'm hedging my risk. You're more, hey, this is the one true currency. This is how we defund the government. Everyone needs to go all in on this, which I, I, I respect the guy swan approach. <laughs> Driving off a cliff, holding on to your Bitcoin. But all right. Hell yeah. <laughs> the point being, if 80% of demand over this past year, let's just say it was from institutional investors, so we could be attracting people like you and I all day who want to be in Bitcoin, but then the idea of buying in and trying to do that at 60 is literally throwing away your money because that like, because the demand is not there at a, at a 60,000 per Bitcoin price, right. For it to be a store of value. In other words, in, to implement that strategy, you might have to wait till all the institutional players decide that they're here to stay or that they're leaving like, cause if they're here to stay, then the 80 evaluation, I guess you price in, all right, the institutional players are here. And then this is the value of a Bitcoin, right? And then maybe you can even forecast the growth of here's how much money institutional players raise from their pension funds on a yearly basis. Here's the percentage that they're putting into this asset, or here's how much more we think they're going to buy in the future. And then you can kind of forecast the growth of it. If they just yes. kind of came There's for a year and they're bouncing because uh, I, I'm, which I guess we can explore why it would be that they're suddenly bouncing from the crypto market. Then for people like you or I to be implementing a strategy of, hey, I'd like to, you almost have to wait or you'd be foolish to be buying in at 60 because if, if the market settles on the 30, because that's where the retail people like would create enough demand for it. I mean, so yeah, great. Like it's not, it will hold its value once it gets to 30, but you don't want to be in at the 60 price tag. Does, that, does anything I said make, make sense made sense in my head? No, it, it makes sense when you're looking at a short-term perspective. But the thing right. is, is we don't know where it stops either direction. We don't know if it stops at 60,000 on the way up. It could have gone to 80 or 90 with a good, a good oomph of, you know, the change bull... in the hype. And it could go to 25 on the fall or it could stop at 40 or 50. We don't really know where any of this lays out. The question is, what's the long-term perspective? Because even if this is maturing into a risk asset in the interim before I think it will actually be a dominant money and a major settlement rail for international exchange, before we get there, it's going to be a risk asset, which means it Can is going to you define risk trade... asset like what, 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 what else is considered <clears throat> a risk asset? A stock? Uh, just for simplicity, gold. 
Okay. But when when inflation gets bad, when people want to divest themselves from like things in the financial market that are uh, prone to you know Fed policy, or when the Federal Reserve is about to be extremely dovish and you know lower interest rates to zero percent, or go negative, or just start buying up equities or something like that, they're just going to start flooding with money. You want to buy something hard. You want to buy something solid as far as its scarcity and reliability. Bitcoin, I think, is entering that sphere for major players. So anything that happens with their decision making or with the Fed trying to taper, because right now the big narrative is inflation. Everybody's worried about inflation. And I think it, you know, we've got November elections coming up. Everybody wants to pretend that they care about inflation now because that's going to be determining whether or not they get elected. As soon as it's the day, the day after the elections are over, it's all bullshit. It's all it's all up in the mirror. We're going to go back to printing. We're going to go back to buying equities, all of it. In fact, we may actually go back sooner because the market crashes as soon as somebody says, we're probably not going to buy more equities. And because it's just complete hot air. In the short term, Bitcoin will respond to that. In the short term, Bitcoin is also going to respond to the fact that people are leveraged trading like crazy. You know, it's $60,000 and it's on a rally and they're like, shit, yeah, I'm going to double down with 100x leverage and it's definitely going to 80. And then when it doesn't, when it goes down to 58, they get liquidated and they're forced to selling and then it goes to 45 because all of this, all of this froth in the market um, now gets that was betting it was going to go up is now forced selling. Um, so it crashes. Um, and then people start to back away. The Fed gets uh, hawkish and they want to uh, make things harder, make money harder to obtain for election purposes or posturing or whatever the hell it is. But if you're in the long term perspective, this is just a great op op buying opportunity. If you know that the Fed has to print again, they have to keep interest rate at zero percent or literally the entire GDP of the United States is just going to go to interest payment on our debt. If you realize that there's no way out of this that isn't just massive amounts of money printing and government subsidy and programs and buying up of corporate debt and equities, well, then you just buy like crazy when it falls to 30 and you buy like normal when it's at 60. Um, and uh, that is. So, I mean, the, the big picture to you mm -hmm. is that we know that we are printing money at unsustainable levels and that if you look at the big picture here. The mm -hmm. they will have no choice but to continue to print money. Like they, there's no there, way. There's out. no. There's no way. There's out. no way out. Yeah. And so, as retail investors who are sophisticated enough to go, hey, we've got an inflation problem, get attracted to Bitcoin, and then retail investors uh, start to realize, hey, my money's actually safer here. We will see more demand for it, and that's kind of the long term play. That's the long term play. Okay. In the short but, term, Bitcoin has been through. I don't know, like. 18 50% drops you know like this this is not uncommon this is a very regular occurrence for bitcoin we're in a new environment and there's new reasons why it's crashing this time you know if you want to say that oh there's a there's a newer story and it's more about the macro financial situation and the fed is now involved sure it used to not really matter back in 2017 2016 but we still had 50% crashes just for different reasons. Who is selling now? Is it the retail investors? Like if you had to guess, I know that we said we can't put like a, a specific percentage, but if you had to get like 
who do you think is is really selling it out? Is it the leverage shorts? Is it the I mean, not the leverage short. It's just the leverage buyers. It's the retails like who's fleeing. And I, I guess why? Simple question. Who do leverage you think is traders, fleeing? Leverage traders are fleeing and closing out their positions. Um, uh, cheap, weak handed retail who is just here because they saw the price. They saw green candles. So they bought. They see red candles. They sell. And uh, institutional investors that were just trading against the Fed. Those are the people who are leaving. Anybody who understands fundamentally what this is, is buying or holding strong. Um, and overall, the network is continuing to grow. I mean, like just in September, we had it made legal tender and in a freaking country and an entire country adopted Bitcoin and the Lightning That's Network. That's El Salvador, right? And Yeah, El Salvador. And we got millions of users onto the Lightning Network in a matter of like 30, 30 or 60 days. Like it got crazy. Um, the network itself is continuing to grow. That's why we have so much support at 30,000, even though a year ago we were at six. Right. Um, and that is, and I think that's just going to continue onward from here. The longer, the, the more you pull back in the picture, the more obvious this is just steady growth. And we just have higher froth because we are in a crazy monetary environment. Can you the amount of money chasing asset, hard assets one day versus the next could change drastically because it's all based on how much is thrown at this, how much new debt and how much new printing is thrown at the system. Can you explain what you mean by froth to me? Froth is all of the market that is here to make short term. You know, there is, there is a strong base to any asset. It's the, the dominant reason why it's used. It's, um, uh, you know, whether or not people save in it in the long term. Uh, whether or not people are buying on a regular basis because either they have to or this is their safe haven, et cetera, et cetera. That is the bulk of the market. You know, only a very small fraction of Bitcoin is actually traded day to day. Most Bitcoin sits still. Most of it is is stored. Somebody has holds it on keys. Like I only buy unless I just in a situation where I have to sell some to just do operating expenses and because I get paid in Bitcoin. So some of it has to go out. I have bills. But um, otherwise, I, my stack is bigger every month. That is that is my one goal. I have Bitcoin, more Bitcoin this week than I did last week, period. And that foundation is the base that is what will ultimately set the floor of bitcoin and i think that's why the floor right now appears to be in the thirty thousand dollar range because that network of people continues to grow but then there are just leverage traders then there are just people who are buying because in three months they think it's going to be higher and they want more fiat they want to be able to exit with a short-term profit that is froth that is bitcoin and and capital that stays at the edge of the market and changes its behavior based on what the price is. My behavior in the base doesn't change based on the price, ex except now that, that I've irresponsibly bought a lot as it goes down. So I see red candles and I buy more. So that is the only way that my behavior changes, but it doesn't change direction, right? I'm, I'm buying at the top uh, what I can afford and I'm buying at the bottom what I cannot afford and I'm stressing myself and missing bills to get more Bitcoin. Um, whereas all of the froth in the market are just empty traders. They're people who staked on Aave and now they're getting liquidated. And so they have to sell back to ETH and they want to get some Bitcoin. And, you know, they had wrapped BTC in some 
stupid DeFi shit, or now their NFT has lost 30% of the price, so they have to dump that really quick. That that's all froth. They're they don't they're not meaningful in the price discovery. That's how we get those crazy huge spikes and then these huge crashes. That's just all volatility. That's the speculative top. So like, whereas, I, I, I have a, a couple drink, questions. The reason yeah. I call it just so the reason I call it a froth, uh when it's you like beer. when you get a beer and you get a beer, there is the real drink and then there's a froth. And you can say all the price action happens in the froth. And maybe you got a whole lot of foam on your beer. And it says, look, it's a full glass of beer. It's like, nah, it's only like half full because that's the drink. The price is going to bounce around in all of that foam. So then I got to ask you. Cheap shit that's happening in the market. So here's my question. You're a smart yeah. guy. You follow Bitcoin more than anybody. <laughs> Why can't you get a handle on the volatility that's pure froth to go, hey, above this price level, these people are going to get what like this amount of demand is froth. And I know that it's going to get wiped out because it's leveraged positions against the shit coin. Like even at the current price tag, like let's just say it's currently I, I haven't looked. Let's just assume that it's trading around 40. Let's just say that. I don't know when it's coming out. Let's just imagine like the Bitcoins yeah, trading around right. 40. Right. So if you and I both know, hey, we're headed for a little bit of a downturn here. And there's going to be a lot of people in their shit coins. Their shit coins get wiped out. And then all of a sudden, they're le that they leveraged up their shit coin so that they'd have money to buy their Bitcoin. There's some percentage of the market that's going to just disappear, right? And they're not going to be able to afford their Bitcoin in the near future. They're going to have to sell out mm. of their Bitcoin. There's some amount of leverage in this market that's just people that leverage their shit coin that, you know, they're going to end up, they're going to end up up shit creek. Let's just assume that yeah. that's, tr that that's a truth. So when that happens, so is Bitcoin at 30? Is that Bitcoin like 30 is kind of the true value because like the that's the what you were saying, the non froth. Like, isn't there some amount of froth that you can just look at and go, hey, it is clear to me that based on this volume, this is all like the leverage position. So I would stay I wouldn't be buying in above this price or like your mentality is just I don't care. I love my Bitcoin so much. I don't care if, it, if I lose a little bit in the short term. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just buying this thing. Okay, so in trying to identify the froth, like that is the whole point of all of the markets, of all the traders, right. of all the speculators. They're trying to figure out what that is. The reason it's so hard to determine is because it's a market. It's you're, you're looking at all the different data points are coming from literally a million different places. And you're also having to guess at what millions of people are currently thinking, how they are currently going to behave and change that behavior, or if they're going to change at all based on new events. So it's, it's for the same reason you cannot predict exactly how much froth there is, is the same reason you can't predict exactly what anybody is going to do or what they think about something. Like it's, that is just the market. You can guess, you can look at a lot of leverage and look at on-chain data and you can be like, okay, lots of whales are buying. Okay, we're leveraged like 40 to one. We're going to have a correction probably. And you might be right most of the time, but you don't know how far. You don't know if it's going to fall to 50,000 or 30,000 or 10,000 and then come back up. We don't really know because every time the price changes, it then changes the behavior, the response, what people think about it and what new decisions they're going to make. So and, and the leverage is different in, in two days. So even if you get um, if we have like a big margin call and a whole bunch of people get liquidated, they might double down when it drops to 50. They might completely double down and try to do it again and buy longs and then get liquidated a second time and it fall down to 40 or they could do the exact opposite. They could all buy puts and thinking it's going to go to 40 and then it rockets right back up to 60. 
because, you know, the market loves to punish people for their expectations. Bitcoin is great at that. Path of greatest pain every single time. The point, the reason I'm, I have the, I'm just going to buy all the time is because that's a job. Trying to figure that out is a full-time job and then some. And I don't, I don't have time for that shit. I just don't care. I just don't care. Again, if I have more Bitcoin this week or this month than I did last week or last month, I know what the long-term position is. Great. If it falls to 30,000, that's a wonderful opportunity for me if I have fiat. If I don't have any extra fiat, well, then I'm just going to hold tight and I'm going to sell as little as I possibly can to get by. And I'm just going to keep grinding. I'm just going to keep learning about Bitcoin. I'm going to keep sharing stuff and making money so that I can have more Bitcoin. Um, All right. Next yeah. question. So... <laughs> You're, you're, you're a maximalist. You're under the position, hey, government's evil. They've always been evil. This is how we defund them. This is how we take back our power as individuals is we move our money into Bitcoin. We vote with our dollars. Amen. Uh, now, I'm not very good about giving charity because I'm a cheap Jewish bastard and I'm not a good person. Can I consider my sense. Bitcoin purchasings as being charitable so that if oh, I 100%. lose the money... So it's 100%. my charity. So in other words, it's Buy not even Bitcoin, investment. You save the world. That's how this works. I, so I can I can view it that way in my head. Instead of tithing and giving that money to charity, I can look at 10% of my income and go, hey, this might be worth more in the future. And if it wasn't, I, I did my part trying to defund the government and somebody scammed me out of my money. But I was, I was trying to be charitable. 100%. 100%. You're doing a good thing for the world. And in fact, right. if, if you actually think about it, saving is one of the most important things to do in an economy that is under stress. So I'm being doubly charitable because I'm the saving act. my money and <laughs> I'm putting it outside of the government's hands. So I'm like practically the church at this point. 100%, 100%. You might as well just be, you know, like just like running a food, a food bank. You know, you're, 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 you are the salvation army, sir. That is, that is I'm going to make this... t-shirts. Guy Swan said buying Bitcoin is charity and I'm going to, I'm going to get behind this movement. I like it. I, it I'm allows me to, allows 100. me to be uh, cheap, save money and feel like I'm helping people. Those are all good Absolutely. things. Absolutely. All right. So another question is, uh, and this one comes from a, a friend of mine. He likes to debate me on the cryptos. I keep telling him he's got to read the Bitcoin standard. I tell him he's got to follow uh guy Swan. He thinks cryptos, a scam he thinks that this thing it's no different than when i used to buy those those uh those beanie babies the ty jerry garcia dolls like he's like hey man you got to take that money that you made and you got to get this thing out before everyone realizes that this is a big old crock of shit but you're 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 in uh you're in the tulips you're, you're buying tulips right now uh at the, at, at the at the height of the market and i think part uh, to me, I think he overlooks the value of this being the only decentralized currency and the fact that we're now at a level where there's built in demand. And I don't think we're at peak demand, but I do think that there is a fair question that at least stocks trade off of an intrinsic value. And the uh, to me, or maybe that's not the right term. Maybe I'm not saying the right finance term, but like a stock mm -hmm. is the value of the future earnings and there is built in earnings, even a bond. Right. It's trading off of the, you know, the uh, the yield. Uh, there are a lot of assets, even your home. I guess at the end of the day, you can live in your home. So to you, why is Bitcoin uh, the better store of value than other items? Like even if I were to go, like, let's say I'm concerned with inflation. I buy oil. I buy a farm with a bunch of pigs. I buy land. There's a lot of items that do have some sort of intrinsic value. Um, crypto, as much as I like it and I believe in the decentralized nature, getting money away from government 
like what makes it a better store of value than just buying land, pigs, women? I don't know, whatever else you're into buying. Again, so this the the real answer to this is an incredibly long one. It's basically let me explain monetary history and why something is a good money and something is a bad money. And you can actually look at history, understand what those characteristics are, and then come to an independent conclusion that, okay, Bitcoin is actually the one that secures these characteristics better than anything else. But the, the short answer to, to just kind of touch on the idea is that Bitcoin absolutely does have, have intrinsic value. Money, anything that is a good money has intrinsic value as a good money. You know, gold but can I, so I, I do have yeah. to ask a question on that. Fine. Sure. So if we were to say mm -hmm. that we view crypto as money, or let, let's let's be more specific, we mm -hmm. use we view Bitcoin as money. Bitcoin. And the yeah. reason why it is the best form of money is that there is a locked in scarcity and no one can cheat the system of the scare scarcity. Every other money at some juncture in time, people are going to cheat the amount of scarcity there. Uh, okay. But the only issue with that perhaps I'll play devil's advocate here is that it really doesn't at the moment function as money and that I don't, and most people are not like transacting with it. Like I, I don't walk into most stores and just purchase. Now it might be easier. I know Visa even has a card now that I think uh, is secured by your crypto and you can just go spend it. So like it could be that it is getting easier to transact in crypto and there's more transactions taking place in crypto. Mm -hmm. But at the end mm -hmm. of the day, it's not, really traditional money in the same way that if you look through history the way all those other currencies were just being used it seems mm -hmm. more to operate like a store of value that you kind of have to convert in and convert almost like buying a diamond and then you let the diamond sit and then you got to go sell it for like you have to convert it out to go spend it yeah so historically money takes a path of monetization because money is a network asset it is an asset that allows communication. So it's like, you know, when the first phone came about, like what, what you're essentially saying is people don't use it as money yet. They don't, they don't use it as day-to-day -day expenditures. Well, it's very much like the first phone wasn't used to call anybody because nobody else had a phone. It's useless by itself. And uh, same way, if I'm the only person in the world who speaks English, English does no good to me. But as a language... If it becomes adopted, if it is the strong network effect, the language is completely illusory. It's completely, quote unquote, made up. It is invented by man, and it is only used for the purpose of communicating information. And yet, what would you consider the value of a language? Like, near infinite, right? Like, if you, can't, if you don't have a language to communicate information to people, we can't, we can't have a podcast. I can't tell you, I can't describe to you how to design or build a thing. It's crucial that we have this networked, this, this network, this system of rules that allows me to take an idea or a pattern or a structure out of my head, spit it into a microphone, send it across a bunch of electrical wires and have it shoot out at the other end and you create the same design and the same patterns in your mind because it's meaningful to you. That is essentially what money does. It does that for value. Now, if you look at quote-unquote intrinsic value and the idea that it's being used for something, notice that the monies of history uh, that came about were actually the things that had 
less intrinsic value, but better monetary properties. Like it's not like silver is less useful than gold in electronics or in jewelry. Um, like there's actually shine, much shinier and uh, more beautiful metals, but gold is the one that is more scarce. Gold is the one that is more malleable. Therefore, it's easy to break up into small pieces. It's, it's the one that had those properties that make it the best money. And one of the other big things is durability. Gold doesn't tarnish. Silver tarnishes, copper tarnishes, iron rusts. Like all of these things die and degrade over time. Gold didn't. So the value of gold, the reason it's a $7 trillion asset as opposed to like a $500 billion asset, like some of the alternative metals, is because it's a better money. Not because we use it for more other things. Its price would plummet 90% if it didn't have a monetary premium, if we weren't using it for storing of value. And the history of monies start as a store of value. You have to have value there to begin with and to establish it for it to then work as a medium of exchange. It can't communicate value if it doesn't have value. And so it becomes a store of value. It becomes settled into the market as something to, as a, as a collectible, as like, you know, when you're looking at like the seashells or the glass beads on the African coast um, or rye stones, uh, like all the historical monies, they start storing value first as some sort of collectible value or novel value or whatever other intrinsic value it, it develops then it can become a medium of exchange if it continues to hold, if it holds that value because it's scarce enough and it's hard enough to create. And, uh, uh, and then you can begin to actually transact with it. And then as that, is, as that is further established and that network continues to grow, then it becomes the most liquid asset to exchange, the most liquid medium of exchange, and then it's the unit of account. Like that process has to play out. And historically, it's a century long process. Every single time we've had a money develop, it literally took like 100 to 200 years. We are actually seeing this on, on freaking steroids. We're seeing this on internet drugs and the spread of information and the ability to download a piece of software that you can do in Russia or the United States or China at the exact same time. So we're watching this on a super, super accelerated time frame. That's why it's crazy. That's why there is tons of froth. That's why there's copy pasta cryptos and everybody just making NFTs and nobody has the slightest fucking clue what they're actually buying or doing with it. And there's, yes, 100% there is a ass load of scams and bullshit. But fundamentally, Bitcoin is the most secure money we have ever had. And it is the most purely defined monetary asset. It was, it was engineered from the start to be the best thing of all of the previous monies and everything that we know about it as a good in the economy. Um, and I would ask uh, for someone who is skeptical, understand we all use virtual money. Like every bit of money that we have right now is virtual. And it's not like, you know, people say it's, oh, it's backed by the government. It's not backed by the government. It's not like I can go and redeem part of the White House. Like, it's like, give me my brick for this $1. You know, if they default, I don't get shit. You know, there's no, there's no backing. There's no like guarantee of any of this. The only backing is the fact that the promise is actually worth something. That the, the United States government isn't going to screw me. That this is actually going to be a secure unit of everyone else's value who is part of the network. That promise is being abused. That promise is turning into a fraud and people aren't using that dollar as much. Russia, uh, in 2016, Russia and China, and I think that's why all the regulation and the matter of national security is becoming a concern for Bitcoin, 
because Russia and China used to do 80% of their trade in dollars. In 2020, that broke below 50%. I think it's like 40% or something now. Everybody is moving away because they know that promise is bullshit. Bitcoin's promise is verifiable. Anybody who uses that network knows exactly how much of that network they have, how much of a uh, economic, uh, a degree of counterfeit proof that they have in that network. And it is the best and most secure thing from counterfeiting of all of the money that we have. We have built in counterfeiting to the money that we use today. So I use an analogy to try to illustrate why this would work. Gold doesn't work as money anymore because we can only trade gold derivatives. So suddenly there's a huge trust issue, right? Like, I don't really know if my paper is backed by gold. And now it's not. We, the, the US dollar is not backed by any gold. You can't go redeem a gold coin for any of your dollars. That went out the window really in 1933, 34, I think it was. Um, but if you wanted to say, oh, well, the countries could redeem it for gold, you'll say it truly died in 1971. Now, what if you could make a paper currency, a virtual currency, that was completely and perfectly backed by gold, where you knew every single note, the perfect history, the perfect ability to verify that this was, in fact, a gold coin. And all of that gold is stored in some crazy bunker like two miles deep in the earth. Uh, two miles. It's, like, it's in the mantle. But, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's deep down below the earth and all the gold is there. And everybody can know with absolute certainty that the note they hold is either counterfeit and therefore, it's not worth anything, or it's a real note. Now, everybody's going to just use the notes because you can go digital or paper. You can trade them. It makes exchange good. You can send it over the internet. Nobody's going to use the actual gold. The gold's just going to sit there, right? The gold's just secure in a vault. That's all gold has done for centuries. Now imagine this: all this stuff is locked away, and nobody can get to it. And like, maybe it just caves in one day, and the gold is just gone. The mantle eats it up, melts it all, it all disappears. Aliens come down, zap it out of the safe. Nobody has a clue, whatever. For some reason, the gold is gone permanently forever. But we're still all using the notes and nobody is told. Nobody knows that the gold isn't there. How long do those notes keep working? Indefinitely, forever. because they don't yeah. work any differently with or without the gold. The key is that they are secured against the scarcity, against the ability to counterfeit it. That is what Bitcoin is, except that it's better because within the rules of Bitcoin is the creation of the actual note. So gold would actually have this huge point of trust where you had to assume the bank was telling you the truth when it issued the note. You don't have to assume Bitcoin is telling you the truth because you can prove exactly how Bitcoin was created with proof of work with proof that it is a difficult, scarce thing to create, and it's built right into the protocol. So that one huge element of trust that the gold analogy would have isn't there in Bitcoin. You can verify all the way back to the very beginning. You can see the Genesis block and the very first Bitcoin that was created, and you know exactly the rules that have been established and secured all the way up to the very moment that you own it. And it's audited top to bottom, back to front, down to one one hundred millionth of a unit all day, every day, constantly by ten hundreds of thousands of computers around the world. That is what Bitcoin is. 
It is, it is money purified as a networked asset to enable the communication of value. We have to watch that monetize, which is a long and painful process. And it's going to be crazy because we're doing this in Twitter days, um, which just makes everything fucking crazy. But I think that's what we are seeing. We are seeing the monetization of a new asset. And that's why it crashes, quote unquote, to $30,000. Whereas last year it crashes to $3,000. And the year before that it crashes to $400. And the year before that it crashes to $50. It seems to keep crashing higher and higher. And I think that's what we're going to see for a very long time. All right. That, that was beautiful. And I wish we could call it an episode right there. Turn off the mics. But uh, I got two more questions for you. Before we do, I got to take a really quick uh, leak because uh, okay. I was outside. So uh, give me one minute. I'm a quick pisser. It's going to be a healthy stream. It's going to come out all real quick. I'll tell you what, while I go That's to the good. bathroom, why don't you do my sponsor plugs? Because you probably already know them by now. We got Sheath and Yo Kratom. Yo Kratom's home of this. Yeah, yeah. You, you Yo plug Kratom. Sheath. I'll take a piss and then we'll get right back into up. it. And Sheath has pockets for your balls. <laughs> Sheath underwear, baby. I don't really know much about Sheath underwear, but and I'm not I'm not yet a user of Sheath underwear. But at Robbie the Fire's uh, adamant recommendation, I'm thinking about get pocket getting pockets for my balls. You know, you know sometimes sometimes you you got to really change up the underwear game, and you got to move on from boxers. You got to see what happens. You got to see what's out there. And Sheath underwear is what's out there right now. And then you got then you got Yo Kratom. Wait, Yo Kratom is the. I don't I don't remember what Yo Kratom is, but you should get some Yo Kratom for Robbie the Fire to support Robbie the Fire's podcast. And I'm sure he has like a discount code or some sort of link that you can use. And I bet he'll tell you how to get that. Guy doesn't know what that is or how to get that right now, but uh, you should do that. You should go check that out. Love it. All right, so <laughs> we're gonna close it out. I did my best. Bullet. The bullish bearish case here. Let's start with the bullish case. Bitcoin's had a good year and that obviously the price is up. We've got El Salvador <laughs> wants it as legal currency. I think uh, Nigeria is looking to uh, adapt it as well. We've got more institutional investors in the game. And then we've got the uh, the Litecoin or whatever the fast network is, the Lightning Network, which means Lightning. that more transactions are, it's going to be easier to transact with your crypto because essentially things will happen off chain in a mm -hmm. rapid manner and then they can all get updated kind of in one big grouping i will hand it to you what else like give us the bullish case for the wide adaptation for this currency bitcoin being viewed as currency like you know i hand it back to you give us the bull case okay um it looks like we have a, a couple of other south american countries that are interested in uh attaching themselves to the bitcoin train um, there is there is new, uh, renewed interest in Africa, uh, and there are a lot of CIFA franc dependent or dollar dependent countries that would love to get out from underneath the thumb of a lot of central banks that have basically been dictating their future and their monetary policy for a long time. And it's good to not. By the way, with be... your lightning, with your yeah. lighting, you look freakishly like Bob Saget. You... Oh, oh my God! Okay, that's interesting. That Bob Saget's ghost has come back. Yeah. And to, we're talking about Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Sorry, okay. you were, you were flowing there, but I, you. <laughs> yeah, I got ADD. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, uh, and also we're seeing a lot of states we're into, we're entering in, in a pretty majestic way. Um, the, the game theory of states, the game theory of countries and international monetary pressures. And Bitcoin is basically blasting its way into that sphere. 
um, and with El Salvador really leading the charge on that. Um, right now, two uh, candidates for the governor of Texas are all about making Texas the Bitcoin center of the United States. Um, Wyoming cool. has been pushing really crazy, really um, beneficial Bitcoin law. Uh, uh, I think uh, North Dakota, I think is as well. Arizona just put a, uh, I think they just passed a law, if I'm not mistaken, that makes it legal tender. Um, that you can, you're essentially legally allowed to pay or receive payment and denominate debt in Bitcoin. Um, and uh, uh, we've got, we got like three or four states, I think. We've got like seven or eight senators or, or excuse me, like congressmen that are laser eyed up on Twitter. Um, and this all, this has all happened up, you know, in the last year. Uh, Biden is talking about how it's a national security issue that we con like have concrete regulation around Bitcoin because I think, uh, because the Russian central bank actually was a little bit up in arms and being like, oh, we should ban this. We need to, this is a dangerous thing. And then the ministry of finance said the opposite. No, we should not be banning it. We should have clear regulation. And Putin came out and said, well, we're actually in a really good position when it comes to Bitcoin mining. You guys need to fucking agree on something and work your shit out. And we need to have clear rules about Bitcoin and crypto. Um, and Russia has benefited quite a bit from the fact that China banned mining and a lot of people packed up, you know, packed up their or their uh, setups, went to Kazakhstan, went to Belarus, went to Russia. Um, and we're seeing a lot of movement in that sphere um, all around the world. And Bitcoin mining is a is a huge industry. Oh, shit. Uh, th this th this is this would be a rabbit hole unto itself if you want to actually uh uh, the latest episode I did on this topic, which I think is a great, great analogy for how to think about it, is called Bitcoin is a Pioneer Species um, and how it essentially is Bitcoin mining because it has extremely unique characteristics. It's uh, it scales like infinitely up or small. Like, you know, you can just take one miner somewhere and it's completely geographically um, uh, independent. It's completely time independent. Doesn't matter what time of day you need that energy. Um, Bitcoin mining is a buyer of last resort that is going to fundamentally change our energy grids. I think it is going to bolster massive amounts of sustainable, reliable energy uh, in. Oh, interesting. Because in other words, like when it's let's just say when the temperature is fair, so nobody needs their air conditioner or heater. And so there wasn't a lot of demand for electricity. So now all of a sudden it you becomes can flip a lot. On the Bitcoin miners. I can flip on my, my Bitcoin miner because the electricity is cheap. But then since there's actually more demand for electricity, it means that it might be worthwhile to actually make the improvements to the grid or the supply of energy, which then benefits the people who are just looking to consume energy as heat or cooling turning on your lights or running your car that's really interesting exactly and it's really crazy too because you know the the energy has to be already produced for people to be able to turn on their heaters so there's massive amounts of just curtailed energy that gets produced but you can't do anything with it like russia i think in the statement i can't remember if it was putin or i, I don't know one, one of the people relative to the statements that i was just talking about um, how Bitcoin could be very useful to their grid is 50% of their energy is just produced going nowhere. Like so much energy, people don't realize how much of the energy is actually just piped into the ground essentially because it's got nowhere to go. There's no solid storage method so no, and there's any, no other economic way to use it. Any person in the world who's running their own electricity 
and is wasting it, they might as well be sending up a mining in for like a mining operation because then they can capitalize all, on all of the current excess electricity. Yes, and the excess energy that the the producer has to make that 20% buffer, that 30% buffer, because a whole bunch of people might turn on their heaters or open up their refrigerators. Right, so now that's profit margin. Going, now they can have on demand, they, all that 30% can now go into mining and they can make profit. It's already produced. It's just thrown away. How come electricity companies haven't already done this? Like they're, if you're they're realizing, they're finding out oh, right okay, now and a lot of them are. Uh, there's a, a significant plant um, in New York. So you know what? This. You know what the job I need is? Texas right now. That's why I they need want a... to be the capital, you know, the U.S. capital of Bitcoin is because this is major, a major benefit. And this actually benefit to the environmental issue, because right now everybody's having to flare off their methane gas, which when, when they mine oil, they literally if you just go go through oil. I heard filters, Ted Cruz those, talking about that, that they could the just be using the flares. Yeah, just fire coming out. Well, the uh, Steve Barber and um, uh, uh, upstream upstream data are making these little boxes. They're going to all these people uh, who are just flaring off this methane gas. I want that job. Economically useless. You can't do anything. You can't pipe that to, to a city 200 miles away. You can't do shit with that. It's a tiny amount of energy. But in aggregate, it's like a third. It's a, it's, it's a shocking amount of energy when you take all of the oil fields together. Um, in fact, it's more. there is more burnt off methane just in mining oil that you can do nothing else with which, by the way, is 20x the greenhouse gas is CO2. Just a just a note there. Um, and uh, there is more methane burned off than the entire usage of the Bitcoin network globally has in energy, which means that you could you could theoretically just cap these things and mine Bitcoin. You take a 20x um, uh, greenhouse gas and turn it into a 1x greenhouse gas. You would mine Bitcoin all of the profit margins and sustainability of all of these energy producers would go up and you could double. You could completely double the energy consumption of Bitcoin and you would not, you would not be taking energy from anything, from nothing else. It's completely thrown away energy. It's in the garbage unless we want to use it. This is, Bitcoin does not waste energy. It finds wasted energy and makes it vi valuable. Um, um and what were the two companies you said I want I want a job selling the the mining equipment to <laughs> all these people with excess energy that's a great sales job um upstream data and there's I invest one in that upstream sad. data I don't know maybe that's a good question all right. I can so, send you a link to it let's close it out here uh I would say the bearish case which is always the bearish case is hey government might come in and the same way that they've toppled countries because they wanted to sell their uh, oil for gold. There, there's one product that the U.S. government has, and that's the dollar. And uh, who knows what ends they will go to to protect the precious dollar. So what we're seeing is the IMF is on the case of El Salvador uh, for using uh, for making it legal tender. Uh, Biden's talking about they're always kind of creeping in new regulations. So what do you see as kind of uh, your biggest enemy or what scares you most in the environment? Uh, that might ruin the value of your crush, your precious crypto. <laughs> um, the the goal here when we're going through this transition and we're entering the political sphere is that Bitcoin simply has to survive. Um, if as we get into the phrase, the phase of increasing capital controls, uh, Biden and, you know, 
these uh, uh, political regimes realizing that this is going to be really bad for capital controls and that this is going to undermine their ability to manipulate and dictate monetary policy because um, Bitcoin's just going to be the giant elephant in the room that just says, I'm here making your monetary policy obsolete. Um, uh, as that begins to unfold, all Bitcoin has to do is not die. That is it. Because capital controls are capital controls, inflation and increasingly draconian and insane monetary policy is exactly what makes the use case and the value of Bitcoin so freaking obvious. That is why I think Russia is actually looking at Bitcoin as something more serious because they're like, we can move this across the border very easily and we don't have to use SWIFT. While Biden is like, we're going to kick Russia out of SWIFT. Mm. Well, Bitcoin, it, it, it's not until Biden says we're going to kick you out of SWIFT that Russia goes, well, what about Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin is external to SWIFT. But in the meantime, that is going to make things very messy. That is going to make price go crazy. That is going to mean that political statements today, tomorrow, next week could turn a bull market into a bear market or a bear market into a bull market. It's going to be a messy difficult time if you are trading but if you learn the fundamentals of bitcoin and you believe it is going to survive all of this which i definitely think it will they're buying opportunities and it's just put your head down keep working keep building and stack bitcoin as much as you can but that does mean that it could get nasty that does mean we could have two years of just straight blood and i mean it's not like bitcoin hasn't experienced that before we've had horrible horrible painful bear markets and i've lived through almost all of them they were i survived the bear market i survived the bear market in 2013 but uh but yeah there could it could get crazy and i'm not expecting bitcoin to do anything in the short term or the medium term uh i am betting on its long-term potential i'm betting on its monetization and the fact that it is not going to die it was winter. I couldn't even pay for heat for the family. Bitcoin crashed I all the cut way. Off, but I bought more Bitcoin that day. <laughs> all right. Uh, you referenced uh, your podcast that you said you just did a longer episode on uh, the, the bullish case. Why don't you plug where people can find you and how they support the cause? Hell yeah. Just check out uh, Bitcoin Audible. Um, uh, that is, that is a podcast. You can find me on Twitter at the guy Swan. Swan has two ends because it's special. And, uh, that's, that's, that's the bulk, the bulk of my platform. And you can figure out, you can find everything else from there. I'm on YouTube and stuff too, but yeah, you can find all that shit from Twitter. Beautiful. As always, I, I've, I learned a ton and I, uh, I, I really appreciate it. Don't yeah, know man. where this video is going to go. I have to figure out a new home for that stuff. I'm definitely going to everywhere, but you YouTube. Yeah, essentially, I got to figure that out. Uh, but the audio of this will be out uh, probably tomorrow. First half, I'm going to be yelling about trannies, and then it will be uh, your segment, uh, buried by the that tranny talk. Those are related. <laughs> Understood. All right. Have a great weekend. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, man. You too.